Can you hear me okay? I can hear you okay, yeah. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I think I just had to increase the volume. Okay. Hey, right, go ahead, you were saying? Oh, yeah, no, I just, uh, yeah, no, I've just been, like, tired. Uh, there's a, a lot of, I have a lot of stuff to do by tomorrow. I have a meeting with uh, my supervisor for this part-time job, and I've been a little behind with, like, tasks, so I'm going to try to, like, finish a bunch of stuff this, this afternoon. But, uh, okay. but yeah, like, other than that, I'm, all, I'm okay. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if we should just get right into the, the book. Yeah, let's, yeah, because, I mean, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I asked to, to start late, but, yeah, let's just, let's just get into it, just for that reason. Um, so, I, what did, what did you think? So, I, I've, I, I started reading this book a couple of months ago. And, well, actually, uh, before, before we start, you want to just kind of explain the book title and the author, and the, okay. maybe like a brief summary. I mean, I know we only oh. read up to the first 30 pages. Right, right, right. Okay. So, um, hi everybody. This is, <laughs> this is, uh, we make the pod by talking. Uh, my name's Carlos. Takashi's here, your usual host, right? And, uh, today we are just doing a conversation. We're just having a conversation on this book we started reading called, uh, Chicano in China by Rudolfo Anaya. Uh, for those of you who may not know Rudolfo Anaya, he's uh, one of the one of the most he's one of the biggest figures in Chicano literature. Uh, he is the author of the book Bless Me Ultima, which is one of the most uh, circulated uh, novels in uh, throughout like high school um, in terms of like Chicano literature. Right, that's like a really big book. I think there was a film. I don't remember, uh, but. But yeah, like uh, he wrote that. He wrote, I think, Tortuga is also, or Tortuga is also like another big one. And um, I started, uh, well, I forget how I came across this this book from him. I think uh, I think what happened was that I was I was kind of just interested in like I read his like biography one time, and then in this biography or maybe maybe it was the Wikipedia article. I found the title of this text, A Chicano in China, which is actually a, a, me a memoir or a journal he wrote on a trip to China in 84. So he kind of, he went on this trip with his wife, uh, pro probably as like a goodwill sort of, I don't know, something sponsored by the government or by, by, by somebody, I don't know. Well, it was sponsored by the Kellogg Foundation. It was written in the book and by... By, by who? The Kellogg, By the Kellogg Foundation, and then the Chinese Athletic Association, and then about right. 19 scholars are able to go, and he was able to, he was one of the chosen people to go. Now, I'm not sure if he was the only, like, technically Chicano person. I, it, I don't know if he gets into it later, but at least on the first 30 pages from what I read, there was no, really no mention of the other, like, 17 people. I don't know if his wife was included in the 19, because he was, he, he mentioned, like, he was able to bring his wife, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting. I, I don't know if he was the only like Chicano, or if, I'm assuming like if everyone else was white or other race that right. Like, he doesn't talk about the other members of that group, right? Like who they are. Uh, maybe he talks about it later. Who he went with? Um, he I he kind of hints that. Well, he kind of hints. I think that they're not like him in their background. So. Maybe that's correct, but uh, but yeah, he says very little about like who is who is um who he's touring 
with basically but um but yeah it's it's this memoir he wrote i think he was in china for a month uh and uh they went to different places um i was interested i was really interested in reading this because uh i mean i i kind of wanted to start reading something from anaya i hadn't i haven't actually read like bless me ultima and stuff like that uh and i thought this would be a cool intro and also because of my own circumstances uh of like at the time like preparing to visit china uh, a plan that's probably like delayed beyond like de delayed indefinitely now but uh but yeah no that was like a big inspiration for me to start reading it um uh, to see kind of uh hear this guy this man's uh this man who's like you know like a founder or a a founder or a pioneer in like Chicano literature, what his own reflections were on his own visit to China. Right. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I started, I start actually started reading the book uh, a couple months ago or a month or a month or two ago. And uh, now for this episode, I started, I, I reread the first 30 pages and um, what I gathered myself uh is a uh, a lot a lot of things that um i was able to sort of uh identify with uh like a major like one major theme in the in the book so far you know within the first 30 pages within the introduction he talks about um trying to like like wanting to learn things he, he he's he um he talks about his 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 trip as a pilgrimage a pilgrimage a sort of goodwill tour, uh, a scholarly visit, um, a learning experience. He talks about his trip in like all these different ways, right? Because it is, it that trip is like all these different things for him, right? And he's really trying to like understand the meaning of how he thinks about China or Asia, uh, what the meanings behind his own experiences there, what, what do those mean? Uh, how do his experiences and the interpretation of his experiences conflict with his like preconceptions of what China is going to be like and stuff like that? Um, a big a big theme that really um, that uh, I really identified with was sort of this intellectual notion uh, of hit of like him as someone who's like part native or part or whatever or something like that right which is kind of part of the chicano myth like the myth history of like chicano thought that um you know chicanos or hispanic peoples like we're a mix of two different peoples that preceded us the spanish and like native americans right that's a big theme in chicano thought or, or myth, myth history right and uh um he uh, like his trip in like to prepare for his trip he talks about going to china to experience that other half right because he's learned that uh native americans arrived in the americas originally by crossing the bering strait from asia um and so chinese civilization actually represents sort of a community that uh may that well they, they, China, the china you know chinese civilization is this sort of this community of people that sort of represent the an ancestral link uh 
to um, to the Americas and therefore to uh, like Native American culture and therefore to also to um, uh, Chicano culture, right? And so he wants to, he when in going there he wants to see uh, things that are similar like symbols or events that he recognizes activities that he recognizes uh, things that he can trace his own things that he can trace aspects of his own culture to that are not explained by the by the history of like Spanish conquest and stuff like that right yeah um and so that's yeah like that's that's kind of a theme that that i uh identified with a lot because um it, like myself growing up like i was sort of aware of that perspective of asia uh in some way i either taught it to myself or i learned it from maybe elder chicanos maybe i'm not i'm not really sure but definitely by college like that was sort of my thinking too like oh like asia that's like a link that's a an ancestral link to the americas and therefore to like my other half of my of my ancestry right in like the chicano like like myth history right that we're part native and part spanish and um uh it was for me it was like really interesting to read that uh by some like in a memoir from the 80s like like that was that was really interesting because it it revealed to me that like people were definitely thinking like chicanos were thinking like that and especially anaya who's like again like he's a he's a figurehead in chicano literature that was his thought in the 80s too and um for me what impressed me was that okay there's this sort of line then of that of that style of thinking in the chicano like 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 i we can trace that style of chicano thinking all the way back to the 80s at least to like these major figureheads in the movement and in in like the chicano community and it's probably even older than that right like that whole notion that idea yeah i mean it probably goes back to the 60s even um but but that was that was kind of cool so that because yeah for me it was like like uh it was kind of like learning about the roots of why i even thought that like where that thinking comes from for myself right like it's it goes back to these these famous writers in the movements it goes back to like like older thought like older intellectual thought in my own community that i wasn't really aware of before actually i wasn't i didn't know if that was like a new way for like mexicans and chicanos to think or anything like that when i started to think like that when i started to have my own understanding of like my ancestry and the myth history of my community yeah like i was not aware of the generations uh the the, the generational inheritance of thought basically that goes back at least to anaya and definite and and pretty i'm pretty sure back to like the 60s and people like that so that that was really cool for me that was really cool for me that sort of in a way i guess it sort of legitimized my thinking and i don't know it just it made me feel more connected to like the community in that way definitely to like a man like anaya right so um well so i just want to yeah. i just kind of want to add too like um 
even the like folks from the Black Panther Party and like you know the movement in the '60s, like Malcolm X even mentions China. Huey Newton like visited China and talks about like the respect and admiration he has. You know when he visited a country, I don't know if he got to meet with Mao, but like he was able to meet some of the leaders. And Asada Shakur even also mentions it too. I don't, I'm not sure if she went to China, but she did mention like wanting to work with the, you know, the Chinese, at least in the U.S. So like a lot of the radical Black Americans also have this idea of China as this country, this nation that's been able to kind of like get away from imperialism, uh, like you know, U.S. interventions. So there, the idea was been around since you know the 60s and i know that kind of idea still kind of exists to this day but probably not as powerful as it was back then so you know it wasn't it was it's kind of interesting to hear from uh rudolf you know rudolf anayo's perspective because this is probably the first one i've read that's from a chicano's perspective because I've, I've heard it from black americans so it's interesting to just kind of read that too Okay, but but there is a difference between how like Black Panthers were, were talking about China and how Anaya is talking about China. So when Black Panther, or at least as as you've described, I don't I don't know the the literature on that, but um, uh, it sounds more like uh, the Black Panthers saw China more as sort of like they saw modern China basically modern China as this force against imperialism as this potential rival as this you know, rival, successful rival to the U.S., stuff like that. They, they, uh, their understanding of China involved a perspective of China as like, as like a, as a political entity, right? Uh, as something, as an anti-imperialist entity. Not so much, it sounds like not, not so much having anything to do with like culture or like cultural links. I mean, maybe there was a little bit of that, but nothing, maybe nothing so, that goes so far as like ancestral links and stuff like that, which is what Anaya is doing. Anaya is not, Anaya, so far, at least in the thir first 30 pages, Anaya is not talking about politics. He talks about it a little bit, but uh, he's very, in terms of like anti-imperialism and stuff like that, he, he's very neutral. He hasn't really talked much about it at all, right? He does talk about Reagan and, you know, like businesses going to Asia and maybe exploiting things but you know he's 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 very neutral at least so far in the book you know his his interest in china has much more to do with um legitimizing ancestral links or or just understanding what those the nature of those links right that he's sort of either taught himself or learned from earlier generations of like intellectual chicanos so yeah no yeah, it's, a, it's a little bit different in that way yeah that's a good point i think what i was getting at was that it was just interesting to hear from like different uh like people of color like non-asian americans uh that were talking about china during that time not necessarily if they had like the same viewpoint or not but just the fascination about china oh sure yeah yeah no those are yeah those are those are similar and just um they're you know just the expression of a fascination with china for sure yeah but uh well i mean what else do you think so far what what are your own thoughts like that those are mine like that's the thing that kind of in the initial part of the book that that's what that's what i sort of noticed um but there's there's a lot more to like there's a lot more to uh the the text than that right like he also talks about the trip being a pil pilgrimage as uh, in the intro he talks about like just the general like the trip generally and like 
as uh travel as like learning how to like uh uh well he talks about yeah he talks about like the trip generally and how um uh you know they're st st he basically says stuff about like mutual respect and like showing mutual respect and i don't, I, I, for, I forget exactly what he says but but yeah but i mean what did you what did you think so far uh, i think there are a few things that stood out to me um because in the beginning he mentions like the definition of chicano and it's tied to being hard workers but not getting the benefits like in their own country and he goes on to you know say like he's the first chicano to go to china then he kind of says like there's been you know like like you mentioned like ancestors from the bering Strait that are coming from china to <laughs> the Me america so may maybe he's not necessarily the first but then uh he later on he does mention about like you know he's technically not the first Chicano to go to China because there were many soldiers that went to Asia in World War II. But he mentioned how they were like Spanish Americans and Latinos, but they were not Chicano. And he specifically says that. So like he has this distinction with Chicano, Latino and Spanish Americans, which to me, that was kind of interesting. That was highlighted in the book. Yeah, I, I wonder what how, how he thinks of it, because I think I feel like the term Chicano. Uh, so he's from New Mexico where uh they have they have uh, like other categories too uh well okay so so the term chicano is kind of it's kind of used differently everywhere i feel like like when we were at ucsd there was like this whole conversation about chicano being like more of like a political mindset or a worldview or something therefore anybody could be chicano but i feel like chicano is like like it it's like a Chicano is someone who like grew up in a certain era in the U.S. and so they had like, like let's say like a lot of it, like a, a lot of exposure to American culture more than more so than like Hispanic culture perhaps, where, while still being like racially or ancestrally Hispanic or something like that. And then um, I think in Mexico there's a different there's a different definition of what a chicano is so it's used differently in all kinds of places i think and i think even in texas like if if you go to like it's it seems to be used differently throughout california so you could imagine like in texas and new mexico it's probably used differently over there too and uh him coming from new mexico uh they do have another category of like hispanic person in the u.s which is just like spanish um the like people who people who in new mexico are descended from like the the original spanish settlers from like 400 years ago in new mexico so there's that community that is distinct from like mexicans and maybe even chicanos uh so there's a lot of yeah there's a lot of like labels and the labels are used yeah they're just used differently so i would wonder how he's using those terms like he even says latino which for me is surprising because i don't i don't know what that means like in the 80s what i don't know what a latino is in the 80s um yeah because yeah. i i've actually never read any of his books um like i know bless me ultima is like his most popular book but i think it would have been helpful for me to read his other works to see like how it compares or if there's like any pattern and i'm also not used to reading uh books where like people use metaphors and like different imagery 
because I know sometimes I've been reading too much like nonfiction books um, to the point where like I'm reading everything as literal, but I know like everything that he's writing is not literal. Like when he talks about the dream, yeah, grandpa like went to China, but then grandma's like, no, he never went to China. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of interesting to see that yeah, dynamic. Yeah. But I think that's part of his imagery and imagination that he's using, which, you know, it's beautifully lit written in the text, but I think I'm not used to that style. And it took me a while to kind of get used to it. I, I was taking everything literal, but you know, it, it's written like in a poetic way, which is something I'm not used to reading. Yeah, exactly. I, I had the first time I read through it, I had that same issue. I was like, like, wait, he's wait, he said this, but then he said this, and he's just contradicting himself. But it's like you keep reading, and it's like, well, it's it's just a diary, it's a journal, it's and yeah, he's a poet, he's a poet, and uh. A novelist and so he's just have he's it's just part of his style of like 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 expressing ideas not uh not even as like a narrative just as like a bunch of impressions and like just presenting the imagery of his own thoughts which um, can contradict each other but that's i mean that's fine because it's just yeah it's just whatever his like whatever his like instincts and like feelings and and like thoughts are like presenting to his own mind at the moment, right? And he's just he's just writing what those are, right? His impressions, yeah. Yeah, another thing he's, that stood out to me, it's like he makes a lot of comparison about his own people and with the yeah. with the Chinese and the Japanese too. He mentioned like before he went on the trip, like the narrative of the politicians claiming like Hispanic people prefer to live in cramped areas. And then he talks about how the Chinese rail, rail, railroad workers and like, you know, the Japanese in the internment camps. And, you know, that's not, you know, that's not, that's not like what they would prefer to do. And then he, then he talks about like the open scenery and open land in New Mexico. So it was kind of interesting to see the comparison that he makes. And even like when he's in San Francisco, which is interesting, he refers it to as the city of the Orient, which would probably not pass <laughs> at this, you know, point in time. But it's, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of interesting how he, uh, uses that description and he compares like the Chinese men's like brown skin to his own people's brown skin and the similarly in the skin tone, but like the language is different. And that's, that's, that's what, one thing like he acknowledges. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I noticed that a lot too. Like he, he's referencing, he's always referencing his own background, right? Cause he's, I mean, he's a Chicano writer, like Chicano writers, do that like they they write about their own back, background or uh, a lot um that's kind of like almost any writer that's associated with an ethnic heritage like they're going they're going to do that and uh i think i think that's another reason why i thought like this book would be pretty cool because this guy is like he's referencing a lot of his background to kind of try to understand another culture basically um I don't think I've ever really like seen that in um I mean I don't read a lot of the I don't read a lot of books like this. I don't read a lot of novels and stuff like that. But um I mean I, I think but that type of writing though kind of attracted me to like this book as well. Like kind of referencing your own culture to to kind of understand another culture. I wonder if that type of reflection that he's making i wonder if that's exclusive to this book or if he does it in his novels as well I, i'm i'm not sure right because that's that's the whole theme of this book basically like he's it's all about it he's it's a 
it's a Chicano in China. It's this guy who has a Chicano upbringing, and he uses that to try to understand his experience in a foreign country, right? And that experience includes like the real kind of lived experience he's had, like you know maybe being in a rural setting in a village. Uh, the people he's interacted with, what their livelihoods were like, and then also an intellectual experience of learning how to relate uh, relate his culture with other cultures, in particular this whole like, you know, like this whole Chicano, half native, half Spanish, uh, Asian origins kind of kind of myth history, like I said before. So there's sort of like there's a layer there's layers of um, relationships he's trying to make between uh his own background and like china as like a country as a society culture and stuff like that um and it, it's kind of it's kind of fun to read all of those right all of those relationships that he's trying to make right yeah and then he he kind of accomplishes it as you know a chicago writer right he's like referencing all this stuff that like i recognize myself and you know he's trying to see that in like Chinese people too. So yeah, I, w I wonder how much he does that in his other books, but you know, it's kind of neat to see in this one. Yeah, and technically this is his, like one of the few nonfictions that he write because he's known for more right. of the novels. So even in his nonfiction book, it still feels like certain aspect is fiction. Right, right, yeah, that's what I read too. Like a lot of his other stuff is fiction, yeah. Although based on like, you know, like, I guess the culture he, he grew up in or setting he grew up in. Yeah. Another thing I found interesting was his description about China. Like he talks about the golden carp a lot. Like, oh, you know, I'm going to find the golden carp. And then next chapter, he talks about that again. And then he talks about like Chinese umbrellas, like these Chinese chocolate. And like, you know, he, he can imagine seeing children wearing like the Mao jackets. So he has this like preconceived notion of what China and what Chinese people are supposed to be like. And I do wonder where he got these like ideas from. Is it like through Western media or is it his just own understanding in his the literature he reads? Because I would assume he hasn't really had much engagement with like actual Chinese people in New Mexico. So it, in a way it's kind of a exoticizing it, but like I didn't see it as like an insulting way because he's able to like make that connection to his own identity and his, you know, Chicano identity and his homeland. So like, if it, this was kind of like a, I don't know, like a white person writing a book without like acknowledging his own like cultural understanding and just kind of exoticizing China. Like I feel, I could see that as kind of a more condescending, but I didn't really feel that in his writing. Like it, even though it's kind of othering and, but in a way still making that connection to his own like culture and his ancestors. Yeah, it's a weird, it's, I, I, I feel like it's, um, it's kind of different from, from the othering you tend to see because every time, every time he's doing it, it's to kind of relate his own culture to Chinese culture, right? Like he, it, like when he talks about Chinese chocolates and dragons, like, like, and this stuff that when use, when expressed in the language in this sort of romantic language that he's using, it sounds like exoticism. But then he says like, oh, well, they have the dragon. Mexico has Quetzalcoatl, right? The dragon, you know, the dragon of Mexico, right? He, like every time he says something that sounds like exotic, 
exoticization, uh, he relates it to something from his own culture. And so maybe that's why it doesn't come off the same way, because uh, rather than exotification, it's it's really just like him trying to, again, trying to find patterns that legitimize this um, ancestral link that, you know, he's he's learned or or, or taught himself. Uh, uh, you know, in like again, like the Chicano myth history of like Asian origins of native native ancestry. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I would think of it like that's how I think of it. Like it, the whole book is, yeah, it's there. There's a tinge of bias or prejudice in what he's talking about, and like, like I can definitely, I definitely read that too, but. Yeah, like, but almost, almost every time he does that, like it's it's stuff he picks out because it looks like something from his own past. So, yeah, oh, not not every time, but almost, almost every time. Yeah, I do wonder, like, if he had written this book, like, in twenty twenty two, like, would he get canceled? You know, <laughs> like for like exoticizing, uh, you know, like Chinese culture. Um, I mean, I, this type of writing is not common anymore obviously like there's just more information like yeah. where uh yeah because I, I do wonder what's like you know chicano's writers would like how would they depict china to this you know in this time of day yeah i wonder too um i really couldn't i really don't know of any like chicano writers now i know some of these people from I know some of these older people, they're still alive, but, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't really know, especially cause yeah, I don't, I don't really keep up with fiction anymore. Yeah. This is kind of the first time I've, I've read something like this in a while and this still isn't fiction. <laughs> like this isn't fiction either. It's like someone's like actual impressions of like a trip they went on. So. Yeah. yeah, another part that stood out because I know he stops by in Japan for a while before he goes into Beijing, like the Narita Airport, and he talks about like how the Narita Airport was built and like the farmlands had to be taken out in order for the airport to be built. And then like he starts like talking about a haiku like that talks about like never take land from farmers. And then he connects it with his hometown and how you know farmland should not be taken away in like the Rio Grande to build the factories. So it was kind of interesting to make him see the comparison that's happening in other countries. Like, you know, the issues that's happening in his own community is happening in other countries as well. Yeah, there's, yeah, I think it's neat. Like all, all the connections he's making, uh, he's, uh, with that example too, like, I think if I recall correctly, that, that example of the Narita airport comes after like this maybe paragraph or so where he is expressing like, he is talking about um, uh, a couple, I don't know what you'd call them, disillusionments or, or something like that. He, he goes through some passages where he's sort of describing Asia in this sort of romantic, exoticized way. And then like, and then he mentions arriving in, in like Japan and China. And then like, kind of be and then being exposed to like the the mundane 
things that you see just everywhere else and therefore are not exotic. So stuff like, for example, like, like cap, like capitalist, like development, like, you know, the Narita airport being built on top of like farmland and stuff like that. Right. Like, Oh, like this is again, like th th this is another connection he can make between Asia and the Americas or anywhere else, which is that like, Oh, well, you know, the people there do shitty things like uh, bullying farmers too. Like that's, that's cut pretty much everywhere. Yeah. So <clears throat> yeah, that's, that's kind of another interesting example. Yeah. And then uh, at one point he refers to like the, his, you know, the Chinese brothers, as he call it as like the Rasa and he calls them like, Oh, the Brown brothers, you know? And, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then he talks about like, when he's in Beijing, he mentions like he feels like he's in Mexico and he, he refers it to as like they said, Mundo, you know, the third world. And then it's yeah, it's just kind of like he uses the the same way to describe certain that certain things that he's already familiar with with you know China and like the things that he sees. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's the major comparison he's making. Like lots of things that are familiar to him and uh that a lot like that through which he can recognize his own like culture like you know like brown skin uh farmers uh the layout of a city or a town uh like uh the whole thing with the the chocolates or whatever stuff that like he would he would say that that chicano kids would like use back back in new mexico um yeah all, all the points of familiarity for him yeah that's like a that's like a big theme yeah i would say um, that's that's the major theme and he even talks about uh like when he sees like the dragons because he mentions dragons a lot like in the buildings and then he says like oh it reminds me of like the buildings in tenochtitlan and like the pyramids of mexico and you know he talks about how dragon means like supreme power and like the wisdom of emperors and then yeah. you know he gets into like gets a cult i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing it right like gets a cultlet like the Quetzalcoatl, yeah, yeah. like, you know, the, the God of the Americas, like, you know, Supreme power and savior, how it's like similar to the dragon. And he talks about like, you know, like since his people are like originated in Asia, like how does, you know, how does Quetzalcoatl have like a beginning in Asia? You know, did it start in Asia? Right. right. So, yeah, it's, it's just kind of like, Oh, you know, I, I would never have thought about making those kind of connections. Yeah. These were exactly the connections I was making when I was in college, like learning about this stuff and like, you know, the Bering Strait idea and then whatever analogs there were between like Mesoamerican culture and Asia. Like even in grad school, I made them like I would even uh, when I would like hang out with Chinese, like Chinese people that still practice like Chinese medicine and stuff and like learning about the differences between like like hot and cold food stuff like that which is stuff you get in latin america too like like some people still have those notions still have those notions i think even my grandma has like this notion of like hot and cold food um uh lots of yeah like lots of other like cultural similarities like those were the things i was sensitive to like when i was in college and even in grad school and so um 
Yeah, I don't know. It, like, it has everything to do probably with, it probably has everything to do with, like, this, this style of, like, intellectual Chicano thought that, I don't know, I don't know where it had its origins, but clearly this guy, like, Anaya was thinking about that, and then, you know, I was thinking about that because I was exposed to, like, the thought of people like Anaya, like, pretty early on. Yeah, it's like it's a whole like Chicano community thing, I I would think. Yeah. Yeah, in a way, this book also helps me understand the Chicano community, like just as much as like he's describing China from his perspective. It's also like giving me more insight about his world, and you know, it's, in a way, it's it's yeah. also it's also making me understand the culture a little bit more on his side. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's. It's uh well for me yeah for me it's really familiar yeah it's re it's really familiar he like what he describes he sounds like you know he sounds he sounds like a guy like that could have been my uncle you know if I had an uncle in New Mexico or something yeah I think uh, one funny part that <laughs> I mean there are a few funny parts that I I found like he talks about like the rats that are in China and then it reminded him of like the cucarachas and then he starts singing the cucaracha song <laughs> just oh, yeah, that, yeah. that was kind of random yeah well i forget why that is because i guess over there rats kind of ha have a similar role to like cockroaches i guess yeah. in, the U in the u.s yeah yeah like people talk about them being able to survive all kinds of things i guess yeah and then uh like before he went on the trip his mom like worried about him because she heard there's a lot of tornadoes in china <laughs> yeah, that's that kind of funny, funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's like aren't there a lot of tornadoes in like where he's from too yeah <laughs> I wonder I wonder if she heard about like some random town in the Midwest called China and like how there's a lot of tornadoes. Oh, there. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Then uh there was a part, let's see, where he goes to like this outskirt of Beijing called Haichan. Um and he says like yeah. it's very similar to the neighborhoods of Mexico and like the poor bar barrios of the Southwest. The only difference is like yeah. the language that they're speaking yeah so again like a lot of comparison that he makes um he talks about like the bicycles being similar to like the chicano chevys yeah 57 chevys yeah <laughs> and then um there was one part that uh i had to kind of look up more he talks about like during the 60s there were there was like a group of chicano activists uh that wanted to make planes and boats to fight against the u.s uh yeah yeah it's, they call it like the royal chicano air force and they built a boat, but it was sunk in like Chavez Ravine in LA, which where, you know, Dodger Stadium was built on top of. Um, yeah. I don't know. And then when I looked it up, it, I guess the Royal Chicano Air Force was like an arts group. I thought it was like a literal, like, you know, Air Force group that was like a vanguard of like the Brown Berets or something. But yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, so. I, I'm not familiar with that group myself, but that could be just another example of his writing style where he's sort of embellishing things uh, just for the poetic or literary effect that he's trying to achieve. Yeah. Um, I, it's pro as this book is like uh, just a documentation of his impressions of like and like of his like experience in china basically all these different experiences he's had um the context for that passage i think was like a, a visit to some lake where um they had like a marble boat that some empress had built 
and like I think he was reflecting on how like useless the 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 boat was because it's marble and it can't like float at all. Um, but then maybe re be, re being reminded of something I guess these Chicano artists did some project that they undertook, which was maybe to build a uh, yeah a plane out of adobe or something like that. Maybe not so much to like actually function as a plane, but just as an arts some kind of like arts project basically yeah and he's probably just teasing that kind of uh that type of project i guess that's that's what i would think that that that's what i took from it i think he was kind of embellishing it just for just for the the literary effect yeah yeah that makes sense and then uh that was another part that stood out to me where like he goes somewhere i don't feel like a restaurant and then, like he mentions, like uh, these Arabic people that he, he refers to them as like suspicious people. And then, like yeah. he gets mistaken as an Arab, <laughs> and then he starts speaking Spanish. And then the people, you know, those people realize they were talking to the wrong person, so they go away. Yeah, that was funny. I think that was the funniest part of the first the first thirty pages for me. To like, what is it? They they they're trying to talk to him about an arms. He mentions it's. Uh, they're trying to talk to him about an arms deal. They're trying to get um, some guns and send them to like Libya or something. And then he's like, "I'm not your guy." They're like, "Oh, okay. Let's oh shit. Let's let's try to find this other guy over somewhere else." <laughs> yeah. That that part I like too, because it kind of tells you what China is like in the eighties. Um, I've read. I've already read a bit more of the book. I'll reread it. Uh, for the next our next meeting but um he like uh like he as he travels china like uh there's a lot of things he sees that kind of show us how like like what society is like there and like how cosmopolitan it is even even in like the post mao era or whatever right there's like just imagine there's arabs there there's like arabs there from like africa or something and they're talking to people trying to do to do like uh, arms deals right it's not just Chinese people and it's not even just Asian people that are there right it's actually like even people from Africa already there in the 80s like conducting whatever activities they're doing yeah so it's like a really cosmopolitan society there like you know in the 80s have you ever read um, Luis Rodriguez's book, Always Running? I don't know if he's considered like a Chicano author, but... Um, I'm not familiar with him. Okay. Because yeah. uh, he grew up in San Gabriel, and there's a section that he talks about where like a lot of the Chinese and like, you know, Southeast Asian uh, migrants and refugees start coming in. And then his mm -hmm. mom mentions like, oh, you know how these Chinese people, they remind her of like the indigenous people in Mexico. So there's like some level of familiar familiarity that the mom mentions, but then at mm -hmm. the same time, like since the language is different, she doesn't feel like she's at home anymore. So you know they decide to move to like a different area. So I feel like that's kind of like another uh, author. I mean, I don't know if Luis Rodriguez would consider himself a Chicano author, but like you know that he he, he writes novels and stuff. So it's it's kind of interesting to see the comparison that you know people make when comparing like latinos and you know asians yeah no that's so 
Yeah, I, I'm reading about him. Let's see. This guy's a seems like a younger guy. Yeah, and he he his book was not anything about Asia. It's, it was just about him, like in his like gang life. Right? No, no, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's he, he's in. Wikipedia says he's uh, recognized as a major figure in contemporary Chicano literature. Uh, he identified himself as native uh, Chicanx writer in his most recent book, Exicanx. Ex, <laughs> I, I don't know. So I, it sounds like maybe he would identify that as that. But yeah, no, that's that's um that that makes sense to me. That's yeah, that's. For me, uh, yeah, I wonder. I wonder where he's from, where his family's from. Oh, he's actually from El Paso. That's interesting. So he's kind of he's originally from El Paso. Always running, La Vida Loca, gang days in L.A. Oh, he kind of he had a similar upbringing to my dad. Uh. <clears throat> Yeah, that's. It sounds like uh, I don't. So I don't know a lot about Anaya. I don't know about a lot about his past. I just know he's he's from New Mexico. I think he's even from Southern New Mexico. Um, but I wonder what his own upbringing was. If it was like like if his parents were like teachers or stuff like that. Um, versus um, this guy who sounds like his family kind of crossed the border. I don't think I don't think Anaya's I think Anaya's family is a little bit more established in the US. I think. I'm not sure. Um I think he might be like even part um Spanish American, like New Mexican Spanish American, but I don't I'm not I'm not sure I'd have to I'd have to read. I guess I could read really quick on on Wikipedia. But yeah, no, it's that's definitely a contrast in how I guess Hispanic people who are, yeah, Hispanics in the Southwest uh, look at um, other cultures. So that's definitely one, that's definitely an example of like, that's like at least in the way he describes the mom talking about Asians, that's definitely like a lot of othering, right? A lot of othering. Like he, like, like in what you just said, the the mom sees these Asians coming into LA and they remind her of indigenous people in Mexico and like just by the language of that it just sounds like you know they they they're other people that remind her of another other people where they came from and there isn't this like you know like identification that's being made between them and this other culture right I, w I wonder where that comes from. I wonder if it's because of like, it sounds like they're like the moms from Mexico and that's kind of what like Mexicans would do. Mexicans aren't like as interested in that type of link between like a historical link or ancestral link between like Latinos and Asians. They're not interested in that. That's very much like an intellectual Chicano thing, which is like where Anaya is coming from. And, um, yeah, so it's like a, it's a big contrast with Anaya, and I think Anaya, I think Anaya is not. I think his parents don't come from Mexico, so there's more of like there's he he's a bit more like culturally Chicano in that way, 
right? Uh, Chicanos were very much interested in like Native American identity, uh, the understanding that they were part Native and part Spanish and stuff like that. And therefore, like by like like in therefore like making those ties between themselves and other people like people who who are we would consider natives or would consider spanish or and um and maybe even so far as like identifying themselves with with uh with asians yeah that's that's more of that's very much more of like a like a chicano like an old school chicano thing like people who grew up in like the u.s yeah versus like in mexico and latin america uh i think the little that i did read about rudolfo naya's background before kind of doing this recording uh he he was like a public school teacher and he became like a director of counseling and so he has like background in education mostly i mean he wrote the book bless me ultima like 1972 which was probably like his best uh known book i know um some schools uh like use that book as part of their curriculum english uh, well i just so i just read his um i just read like the a little bit on his background and in, in um on wikipedia so yeah his family it's 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 almost like what i said um uh, his family actually so his family are from New Mexico. They're not his his parents were not from Mexico. They were already established in New Mexico. His father was a cowboy from a family of cattle workers and sheep herders, and his mom was uh, from a family of farmers in the Puerto the Puerto de Luna, in uh, Pecos Valley of New Mexico. So they were definitely Chicanos. They were definitely like already from there. Right. And so they weren't from Mexico. Right. Uh, and whereas Luis Rodriguez, uh, his parents were, oh, yeah, from Ciudad Juarez. And uh, yeah, they were they were from they were more from from Mexico. Yeah. Even though it's just across the border, which is kind of interesting, but yeah, yeah, they were they were um, immigrants. Yeah, I feel like um, so this this maybe maybe this can explain the the difference that I'm noticing between these two authors. Then, like at, from what you've described, I don't know. So like, I feel like when it comes to when it comes to a lot of immigrants. Not definitely not all of them, but uh, a lot of immigrants have like this really strong like national identity that they've inherited from from the home country, right? Like so, a lot of Mexican immigrants identify strongly with Mexico, Salvadorians, Guatemalans. Similarly, um, maybe maybe this is true like mainly for like hispanics so i can i could just talk about that like hispanic immigrants like they still strongly identify with the home country i think maybe that has to do with the, the fact that because like the parents are from there they were educated there and they were educated in a certain way that fits the national narrative of the country right so like the government of mexico is going to teach kids how to be mexican and to impose on them like a national identity which is like Oh, you guys are Latinos or Spanish. These groups are different and stuff like that, right? 
Whereas in the U.S., when people come to the U.S., they learn they learn uh, about like how they are different and don't fit the national narrative, right? And so uh, if you're if you're an immigrant, you are educated in in your home country and learn about who you are from your from from schools, and then you go to you come to the U.S. and you learn in schools how you're not you're not like culturally you like a U.S. person. You kind of have that home country education to fall back on in the formation of your identity, right? So something like that. Versus um, Chicanos who you know, didn't grow up in their home country or whatever it would be, right? Or their the country that is associated with their culture or heritage or something like that. They're not educated. Uh, uh, you know, Chicanos, even though they're Mexican-Americans, they're not educated in Mexico. And therefore, everything they learn about Mexico comes from, like, English-written books about Mexico, right? Which are, like, going to be stuff on the Mesoamericans, uh, Aztecs and Mayans and stuff like that. That's how that's how Chicanos learn about their past, right? Uh and so a lot of a lot of Chicanos I think they learn more about that stuff than they actually learn about like Mexican history. Right? Like I learned about Aztecs and Mayans before I knew who um like uh like the mexican presidents were i like i've only been able to identify mexican presidents like more recently um so it's it's a it's i think the cultural difference and the difference in like how people make associations between themselves and other people right like this like strict othering style of like association versus the the type that Anaya is doing where he's trying to find like analogs between like Chinese culture and Hispanic culture right I think that all I, I think a lot of that comes from education it comes from people being educated either in their home country or in the U.S. and how much of that how much of how much of each of those is happening yeah because uh because yeah i think i think a lot of identity formation happens in schools and um yeah if you're in mexico and you're take and you're in school you're going to be taught that you're mexican and then you go to the us you're going to be you're going to have that reinforced because of like the whole like race stuff that like is part of like of like um cultural thought in the us but then if you're chicano uh you're you're taught that you're someone else you're taught that you're like you know you're not white you're you're brown you are mexican but you don't have you don't have a mexican education to fall back on to learn about what that means what that is right so you have to you end up learning it from just what's available in the us which are the archaeological stuff on the aztecs and mayans and stuff like that right and so that's how your identity forms. Like you, it's 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 all like self-learning, yeah, right. Does that make sense? I don't I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I would have to. Yeah. I feel like think about it a little bit more on that, because okay. that's kind of similar to Asians and Asian Americans too. 
Um, I mean, when you're talking about like the national pride, uh, I mean, I know this is probably not the best kind of uh, identification for it. I was thinking about like, you know how in graduations, people would wave their Mexican flag. I've seen a lot of, you know, families yeah. who, like wave like Salvadorian flags, mm -hmm. but I've never seen that with like Chinese flags or, you know, Japanese or Korean flags. Like the only mm -hmm. Asian groups that I've seen that happen or that wave their flags like in graduation is Filipinos. So it's kind of interesting to even see that. I mean, I know that's not necessarily an indicator of like, oh, if they don't do that, they don't have national pride in their country. But it's, I, I feel like it would be frowned upon if you wave like a Chinese flag um, during graduation, maybe just because of the, the current dynamic. But even like 10 years ago, I didn't really see it as often. Yeah. It, I don't think I, it's socially I, acceptable. That's what I would say. Right. No, I, I, so I, I think that's a little bit different. That might be a little bit different because uh, a lot of the governments, I think a lot of the governments in Asia are, are newer. And so maybe a lot of older, so definitely for China, like I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of older Chinese don't identify with like the current government. And it's sort of the government and the, the flag, flag, I mean, flags are supposed to represent the country, but they're really like, they're really like a reflection of the government in a way. If you had, if you took a country and then completely changed the government, like one year, like it just completely changed, the flag is probably going to be different. Like it's going to be a different flag, right? And so the flag really, the flag really represents what, who, who the government is. And so I could definitely see lots of older Chinese not identifying with the current Chinese flag because I mean it's it's not it's not the China that they like grew up in it's not the China it's 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 like a very different China from like what it was when they were younger right and so it's it's a it's almost like a maybe not a different culture but definitely a different government and like the society is like different enough that like well, not the society, just just the gov the, the the flag, the flag the flag probably represents the government more than like the actual people and the culture. So then that's that's kind of that's probably why. Like that that's that's what I would imagine the thinking would be. Yeah, like there's more of an association between the flag and and the country and the government, especially because the government is so new, right? Like it's still it's less than a hundred years old versus uh mexico which who which has a, a 200 year old government um you know and a pretty uh like like yeah the same flag is is like the flag has been used for like a long time right like at like 200 years uh a lot of latin american country countries are like you know about 200 years old um i don't know about philippines but yeah, I'm not sure. I'd have to read about the Philippines. That's interesting. Yeah, but I, that's that's what I would think. Like ja Japanese too. Like the, the the government, the government of Japan completely changed in what the 50s, like right after World War II. Like it went from being uh, like a monarchy to what it is now. I, I guess like a democracy, and it had a very like violent change towards that, right? And so. The flag of Japan probably represents that more, that change more than it represents like actual Japanese heritage and culture and stuff like that. That that's what I would imagine would be the association. Yeah, 
for Hispanics, though, it's so easy. It's it's just easy. To, it's easier to think of the flag as representing the culture because the flag, like the flags, are older and the, and the governments have been a bit more are older. The governments are older, and so yeah, it's there's it's easier to mix the government and culture to think of them as as uh, more intertwined. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean that that also depends on like you know, if the parents were recent immigrants, um, I don't usually see like a fourth generation, like Mexican-American waving the Mexican flag at a graduation. But it's, yeah. it's, I mean, yeah. And in that goes same thing for, you know, I mean, Asian-Americans don't typically wave the flags as much, except for like I said, like Filipinos, I've seen that more than like any other Asian groups. But yeah, I, I don't know if it's maybe also tied to like the idea of assimilation or maybe not wanting to stand out too much or I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, that, that's interesting. I, I, yeah, I've never, no, I haven't noticed that before, but it's, um, yeah, I, I would wonder what the, the reasoning is for that, like the psychology of it. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. I guess going back to the book, was there, um, Anything else? I know like the first 30 pages, it didn't seem like it's a lot, but I feel like we were able to kind of point out a lot of different things in the text. Uh, I mean, that's, yeah, no, there, there's there's a lot of other stuff to it. Um, I can't remember exactly off the top of my head what else I would have wanted to talk about. Um, I thought the... Uh, um, <clears throat> Yeah, the part where he goes to San Francisco is funny. He calls it the land of the Orient. <laughs> like it's already, it's already. Um, I don't know. Like I guess the the I guess the Chinese enclaves there are just like are very uh are very pronounced. In some way. Uh, I mean, like that. Yeah. I don't even think that would that would uh. Well, I mean, first of all, using the Orient would not fly today, but. Like, yeah. I don't even know if people would consider that, like, San Francisco today as, like, oh, the land of, like, the Chinese or Chinese-Americans, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that, that's, like, a fun, it's a funny labeling. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if that's something that people did in the 80s. Like, they kind of thought of it as, like, oh, like, you know, there's a big Chinatown there. That was, like, a maybe a big feature of San Francisco versus today where like the associations people make with San Francisco now are like the tech industry and stuff oh, yeah. like that. Oh yeah, the tech industry, yeah. depending on who you're talking to or the, the rising the homeless population, gentrification. Yeah, yeah. We don't really think of the Chinatown so much unless you're unless you're like like from California and you've been here a while and it's like, "Oh yeah, they have like a really big Chinatown." Like you can still remember that, but even even with like, you know, older generational Californians like it's it's all like tech industry and People talk about how San Francisco has changed so much, or the Bay Area has just changed so much in the past couple of decades. So, yeah, I, I wonder. I wonder if, like, maybe in the '80s, because that stuff didn't ex exist quite as, as, uh, or it it didn't, it wasn't as pronounced as it is now. Maybe the associations with San Francisco were a bit different, and did include stuff like, oh, it's you know, it's there's a big, you know, just a huge Chinatown and like stuff like that. Well, I felt like even '90s and early 2000s, there wasn't like a like idea that San Francisco is like a huge tech town. Like that didn't even cross my mind. Right. So like right, maybe right, 2010s. Yeah. The recent yeah. De like decade. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And then uh, another thing that I was thinking about too, because I know he makes a lot of references to the Bering Strait, where you know Chinese were coming from the Bering Strait into the Americas. Uh, I do wonder though, like I, I heard about this when I was taking a Chicano studies class at a community college about how there's like a, a debate and controversy about like whether that's true or not, because certain like native and indigenous people will say like, if that's true, then, you know, we're not necessarily indigenous to the Americas because we're migrating from Asia. Right. Right, right. Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, what was kind of cool when I read that part and like saw it, saw him like mention it a lot throughout the text is that um like, that idea was, I guess it was pretty popular even in the 80s. Um, I don't know when that hypothesis was developed, but it, you know, it, it tells me that it was at least like pretty common in the 80s to think that. Um, and uh, yeah, I think, I think maybe, I don't know if it's been debunked or anything like that. I think, uh, I think what, uh archaeologists are saying now is that like you know it's a bit more complicated there was like a bear there were like a couple bearing straight movements but people also came to the americas by sea like polynesians definitely visited like peru by sea so so it's probably like just a more like complicated story and um yeah yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what the status of it of that is like. How how viable it is as like a as like a prehistoric fact, but I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, no. For me, for me, what was it? It was interesting again because for me, a lot of this book was like learning about my the like what types of people in my community thought the way that I did in 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 college like making these associations between like mesoamerica and asia like i was doing that in college and it was really interesting to learn that anaya was doing that too like when he went to china like he was looking for uh like 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 something to legitimize that association and i i wonder where he learned that from if there was like if he was just doing his own readings and like just came like oh there's this like strong like link between asia and, and like mexico um or maybe he learned if he learned that from like other scholars like i i wonder i wonder like how he came to those ideas because yeah because now i feel like i inherited that from these other people yeah and that's kind of cool like that that for me that's really interesting yeah like uh it really makes me like it makes me feel closer to this community because I'm able to recognize like the way that I'm thinking is is just a pattern that comes from these people yeah so uh, but yeah like it was so that that was interesting for me learning about that idea and then like yeah like I, that's that's kind of how I thought too in college so <clears throat> yeah and then um this might be more question for you and I don't I don't know if I'll be able to answer it too but like just by reading like the first 30 pages of the book, um, like how do you think this like affects like the modern Chicano discourse? Because I know like I, we talked about this before, like even the term Chicano is kind of a, like dying like, or the Chicano culture is kind of changing in a way. You know, people are identifying like Latinx yeah. and different 
because yeah. you know we have a lot of Central Americans and different people from Latin America also coming in. But um, I, I was just kind of curious, like what kind of effects, and you may have already answered it already, but like you know, what kind of effect does this book and Anaya's work have on like today's discourse, um, like the Chicano literature? I I I I wonder if it has very little impact. Um, this isn't like a very popular book. Um, even even people who read Anaya uh, haven't really read this book. Like people kind of read Bless Me Ultima and maybe Tortuga, and that's it. Um, yeah, so I don't know how much of an impact this has in in like Chicano discourse. I want to say very little. And it's for it's for kind of the reasons that that I've mentioned, like that I've mentioned before. Like I said, like I think the Chicano community is on its way out. It's dying for like two big reasons. Uh, one is that, you know, a lot of Chicano families are assimilating into culture, like into the U.S. in some way. And uh, so they're kind of losing like these ideas right and this like historical memory and then the other reason is that like they're kind of getting replaced by like newer immigrants from latin america especially mexico who have a much stronger like mexican identity a much stronger and much stronger like associations between um like like their their kind of lived experience and a home country right which is something that chicanos lack La chicanos don't have a, a home country like this is the home country for chicanos is the southwest the american southwest right it's new mexico california and that like that's that's our home country we learn about our place in it from from whites or from other people right and to learn about ourselves, we have to do our own education. That's not what immigrants do. Immigrants it, come from Mexico, Guatemala. They learn about who they are from their school systems, right? Uh, and so that's, but yeah, as uh, so those are the people that are sort of replacing Chicanos. And with that comes stronger identification with like, with like Mexico, Guatemala, and all of these countries, uh, like among like Hispanic communities, yeah. And so Chicanos are either assimilating into that, or assimilating with like you know like just other U.S. cultures, basically. So yeah, I, I think I think it it doesn't have a big impact because the Chicano the Chicano communities I think dying off, and. Uh, that way of thinking, yeah, that way of thinking about like that Anaya has of like finding of like looking at other cultures and just finding what stuff that focusing on things that resemble your own culture. Yeah, unfortunately, that's that's not getting expressed as, as much as I would like it to. Yeah, because I'm, I'm all about that, too. Like, I'm I'm all about looking like looking at other people and just seeing like what seeing myself in them right um that's really cool that anaya wrote like that i, I think that's the thing like my favorite thing about about the book yeah but that's yeah i think uh no like yeah hispanics today younger hispanics you know will identify more with their home country and i don't know that's 
with that comes like stronger reinforcement of like your identity and what makes you different. So, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and I, I do wonder like how much interest do people have in like ethnic studies or Chicano studies or Asian American mm -hmm. studies, or has that been kind of reducing in numbers of interest? Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It just yeah. kind of becomes like another, you know, department like history or political science. Yeah, I, I feel like I wanted to say something else, but I forgot what it was now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Another thing I wanted to mention is like uh, about the, you know, Anaya's writing is that, you know, it's it's not as popular now. Like we haven't read like like. Like you've been exposed to uh, Mexican American literature, right? Or like Hispanic literature in the U.S. Uh, have you read uh, uh, what's that guy's name? He's Dominican from New York. I feel like he was like the biggest Hispanic writer for for. Is it Juno uh, Diaz or something? Juno Diaz. Juno Diaz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never read his stuff, but I heard about him. Oh, you read okay. You have okay. Then never mind. I've I mean, read his stuff. Yeah, I've read, I've read his stuff, and by doing that, like by the time I started reading his stuff, I'd already read more of his stuff than I had of uh, Rudolfo Anaya. So I was more exposed to like his writing than say like the like the Chic the Chicano literature canon, basically. So. Yeah, like that literature, that older Chicano literature, I think it's 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 sort of um becoming less popular, probably because it it's just older, right? And I don't know what it's getting replaced with. Um when I when I talk to like Hispanic friends of mine who are my age or younger, uh they're more they're more familiar with like Juno Diaz than they are with like uh with Rudolfo Anaya. I, mean, I grew up reading, uh, well, I only read one of her works, uh, Sandra Cisneros. Uh, that was required okay, yeah. in high school. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Ru Luis Rodriguez, too. But that, that, that's a book I read on my own. It wasn't like a science to me. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, yeah. I mean, the, well, who, so that was, those were assigned books. Like, what I'm talking about is like people, books people read on their own. Like, I've met people who read Juno Diaz on their own. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Juno Diaz is interesting because when I was reading his book, uh, it, re it did remind me a lot of Sandra Cisneros, actually. I don't know if that's influence or just, yeah, like a, it, I just saw a lot, of, a big resemblance in the writing style. Yeah, I mean, I can't think of any contemporary authors that mm -hmm. are of Latino descent. I mean, I, I don't even read Asian American literature either. <laughs> like, I can't even really think of any famous ones. Mm-hmm top of my head yeah i guess um oh would you i don't know if you had anything else to add or say not really not really i was just i was just trying to i was thinking to i was thinking out loud like trying to think of like asian american authors so, yeah. i mean there's amy, I most, amy tan but yeah i've never actually read her stuff uh she did the joy luck club right yeah i think there's a movie for that too but Did I, I ever tell you I went to uh, I actually saw her speak, um, yeah, at Fresno City College at, when I was in community college. Like uh, she was she was visiting to do uh, 
I don't know, like a speech or a lecture or something like that. So I got to see her. Yeah. Yeah, and I heard a lot of criticism about her too, where it's kind of she otherizes China a lot too, even though she's Chinese American herself. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of like I don't know. I guess like a lot of Asian American writers, or at least earlier, like mysticizes a lot about the China. And I don't know if, if it's the intended audience is for the white, or you know, because like this book right now, Rudolfo Anaya's, it, it doesn't seem like the intended audience is for white people. Yeah, no. This is this is definitely like 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 I feel like he's speaking to me in a way. Yeah. yeah. Definitely, like that, like the book, the language, like it feels very like familiar to me. Yeah, because even um, Luis Rodriguez's book, I felt like he wasn't writing for a white audience. Hmm. Um, but I mean, I don't think I've read enough Asian American authors, so I can't really speak on it. But just based on like the criticism I I've heard of like the Asian American authors, at least like the the older ones, it seems like their intended audience is like whites or maybe more assimilated Asians. I, I really don't know, but. Interesting. Yeah. I'll have to check that book out then. That's, that's interesting. I wonder. Yeah. I wonder what the language is like. I, I was wondering uh, for, I guess next time, I mean, we could do this next week. Uh, did you want to try to do page 30 to 60 or I don't know if you wanted to try yeah. reading it like another text or I don't know if we should just try to finish this book first. I, I would like to finish this book. I don't think it's like it's not that long, and I think it's I think it's interesting enough to uh, keep talking about. Like um, I've I've read half of it, and I know in the first half there's there's other there's other stuff to mention. Like like he like I like I mentioned before, like he visits Mao's tomb, and he has these other like reflections that have more to do with like the politics at the time so i think i think uh th there's a bit more to say for sure definitely in the next definitely at least up to um like the next what is it 30 to 60 like within the next um 70 pages for sure there's okay. like more stuff to talk about yeah yeah we could go from page 30 to 60 for the next one uh do you want to try again okay. sunday at the same time yeah yeah we okay. could try that we could do we could do one yeah i just i needed a bit more time yeah yeah okay see sounds good all right then okay cool that's all i got uh the last thing i want to say too like the, the boston thing you mentioned last time i had yeah. a friend uh that came over uh he's a international student from japan but he's been here for like quite a while probably yeah. like a uh, probably decade and he mentioned that you know, he does like postdoc in Boston and uh, for the first time he's faced like over like discrimination. Like, yeah. you know, they'll, they'll start saying like ni hao to him, even though he's like Japanese. Uh, they'll call him like ching chong. <laughs> they'll say like ching chong China man, like we'll go back to China, you know, ever since uh, COVID, oh, wow. yeah, COVID yeah. got hit. Even before COVID started, he started, he was already feeling tension. And it's kind of interesting too, because, uh, it's, you know, Boston's a liberal city and he acknowledges that, but he still feels like there's overt discrimination mm. and racism. Yeah. And he feels like he's finally, for the first time, able to have an Asian American experience because of, uh, I guess, these encounters. Right, right. No, that's that's in, that's interesting. Yeah. He's kind of seeing what it's like in the U.S., at least in that part of the U.S. Um what is it? There's a. I was recently reading about Mark Wahlberg. You know this famous actor. I don't know if you know. Oh about yeah, I heard about uh, yeah, yeah, like he grew up in Boston too, and he had all these legal 
problems because like when he was 15 he was like bullying like younger black kids and calling them the n-word and stuff right um there yeah like boston is yeah it's it's a weird anomaly uh well i don't know if it's an anomaly but at yeah. least for a californian like me like that's that's really weird for yeah. like a californian yeah. like me and i remember going there and just hanging out with this guy who identified as half black, half white. And, you know, he told me, yeah, we can't go in the Irish bar. Or he can't. He told me he couldn't. And just being really upset by that. That I was like, man, this is really fucked up, man. This is a fucked up place. And, you know, just reminded it reminded me of Chicago. Chicago is not, I feel like, is not that bad. But, uh, but still, like, people kind of, like, keep to their own. Like, there's there's still segregation for some reason the what's whatever's going on in boston that sort of overt racism i guess like it's it kind of encourages like racial ethnic segregation and then in uh in chicago uh yeah i don't think i don't i actually don't i don't think there's race i don't know if there's racism or not definitely it's not that overt but uh but yeah there's still like that there's still an element of segregation like that's coming from somewhere and that's really foreign to me as like as like a Californian. I don't think it's I don't think it's as bad in, in LA. I think in LA maybe it was like that like when my dad was young, like in the sixties and stuff like that. But the thing is that in Chicago it's still that way. Yeah, whereas LA's kinda of, like kinda of changed and become a bit more more integrated. Well, just to add another uh, fact about Mark Wahlberg too, he beat up a Vietnamese man and yeah. near, like pretty much blinded him. And I don't even know if he was put in jail or had any consequences for it. Uh, you know, he's still walking away free. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, no, it's a it's a violent place, and there's like a there's like a weird racial element to the violence. Uh, and I think in I think in Chicago it's similar. It's not as, it's not as bad as that, but it's kind of there. It it's more that I I feel like there's a bit more of it than in L.A. All right, man, I gotta get going. But uh, this was a great conversation, and we'll yeah. do another one next week for sure. Okay, man. Cool, man. All right, I'll catch you. You have a good have a good afternoon. All right, you too. Have a good Sunday. All right, bye.